In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, may the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. Welcome to Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting from the biggest mosque of UK. And as you know, the Voice of Islam Radio is presenting and promoting the true teachings of Islam. And right now you're listening to another episode of Breakfast Show. My name is Shail Munir Ahmed and I'm going to be your host for the next two hours. And dear listeners, normally what we do is that we have two topics which we discuss in regards of um, Islamic perspective as well. But today we have three topics prepared for you. And the first topic is, is about economy and as I said, Everything we discuss is also from the Islamic perspective as well. For this, we will have uh, therefore Abdul Qayyum Rashid, who is also a presenter of Voice of Islam, and we will have a pre-recording with Professor Malcolm Sawyer, who is a professor of economics in the University of Leeds. And then, after the eight o'clock news, we will start with our second segment, which is managing our emotional intelligence. So, about our emotional intelligence. And also here, we have two pre-recordings with Dr. Maurice Elias and Carla McLaren, uh, who is an award-winning author and educator, workplace consultant and social science researcher. And then, dear listeners, the last segment of today's show is incorporation of guide dogs in our society. And we will have a pre-record, uh, we will have Graham Kenzet, who is live, will be live in the show. And then we will have uh, Mohammed Khathri, who is basically a sportsman, I would say, who lost his eyesight when he was very young, but he is an inspiration. What I've seen, what I've looked, uh, did some research about him. I found out he is really a exp- uh, role model for a lot of people. He can become a role model if you know his story as well. Therefore, dear listeners, if you want to listen about his story, do me a favor, stay tuned with the voice of some radio for the next two hours um if you want to be a part of the show you can call in anytime the number is 0208-687-7878 or you can go on our socials at voice islam uk the listeners um i hope you had a pleasant morning i hope you're enjoying your breakfast i am actually very happy because uh as last week uh as well as today, I had the opportunity of my morning prayer here in the biggest mosque of Europe, the Bath of Two Mosque. And for me, um, I I won't say I'm the most spiritual person, but I try to be very spiritual. Um, but for me, religion is playing a big role in my life. And um, nowadays, I see that li- people, uh, because uh, of the war we have in the Middle East, people are saying religion is the root cause of all this, this the disturbance which we see in the world i disagree totally with that i think if you follow the true teachings of your religion you see that your religion is based on peace and your religion only wants you to maintain peace in society as well and helps you to improve and to prosper as well and uh, for me um talking to someone like god uh, because i believe god is the most powerful being and he can become be friend as well if you try he is ready to listen. He is ready to give you. He is ready to help you and support you as well. So, dear listener, this is my own, like my personal review on that. But I believe a lot of people will agree with me. Um, dear listeners, um, a lot is going on. As I said, we have unfortunately uh, 
to war in the Middle East. Uh, it's very sad because I think I believe uh, about war is that in both sides we have casualties. In both sides, innocent people are losing their life. Children, babies, dear listeners. I'm talking about old people, about pregnant women, about women itself, herself, or like every person is basically somehow um, going through that. I mean, even though we're living here now in England, but this war can have an effect on us as well. So the only thing we can do is pray for that this war comes to an end as well. I said it many times for a Muslim, the listeners, this is something we need to highlight as well. It's not highlighted quite often. A Muslim is someone who will spread peace, who will maintain peace in the society. And the reason is that because Allah himself, the Islamic God himself, has described himself in the Holy Quran as Salam, as the source of peace. And uh, obviously for us uh, Muslim, it is important that we try to follow, try to act upon the attributes of Allah. And as I said, one attribute is salam. So a true believer, Muslim, will always try to act upon this particular attribute of peace as well and will try to maintain peace and will try to spread peace as well. So this is, I, that's why I'm saying that nowadays the thing we need in this world, the most important thing we need right now is peace, dear listeners. And for that we need religion because religion is teaching us the true, the true meaning of peace. And how to maintain peace. Um, you know, this reminds me um, about a person who's, lived, uh, who's known in this day and age as the champion of peace. And with that, dear listeners, um, I'm talking about uh, the caliph, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmad, may Allah be salpa, who has been warning the world for for a long time, for more than a decade now, for almost 16 years, 17 years of the outcome of a very horrific war, uh, which will be, the outcome will be very horrific as well. And he has wrote to many, many um, world leaders as well. He has been in many, many um, parliaments as well, where he spoke about that and where he gave guidance Say, let's say guidelines from the Holy Quran, from the teachings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mr. Ghulam Ahmad uh, from Guardian, how to maintain peace and how to spread uh, peace. And he is for that, he is known as a champion of peace only because he gave guidance from the Holy Quran. So you see that Islam is recognized almost slowly, slowly as a religion of peace as well. And this is only because his holiness is trying and is going around, is traveling around, is meeting people, world leaders as well, and is explaining them what the true meaning of Islam basically is. Um, all his speeches he has given in different parliaments, in the European Parliament, in the um, uh, uh, US Capitol, or uh, in the German Parliament, uh, in the British Parliament, etc., all these speeches are combined in one book, which is known the Pathway of Peace. To listen, if you want to read that book, that book is online on in www.alislam.org. 
www.alislam.org this is where you can find many many um, references about Islam any topics anything you want to learn about Islam you can find it there and of course the speeches I was talking about the speeches where he talked about peace as well and it's very important because he has won the world many many times now and he even in this the biggest mosque of Europe at the Battle for Two Mosque he has delivered many many speeches about that as well um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has held many many peace symposium um, where even the peace award was given to people who try to maintain peace or try or fought for peace or tr are trying to promoting peace in the society as well and uh, His Holiness has given speeches about peace as well about how to, we can maintain peace in the society as well and I, I believe, dear listeners, this is something we need to focus on that as well. Um, in the end, we are from the same race. We are human beings. We live in the same place as well. And this is very important for us as well. And if you look in the earth, unfortunately, there everywhere we have, we see, um, I won't say destruction, but I will say, I will use the word of war. We have the war here in, the, in Europe. We have the war in the Middle East. We have... Um, uh, we have some horrific uh, situations in between the North and South Korean, as well as uh, Taiwan and China. Also, we see some countries in uh, South America who are not going alone. So, this is something you know. Um, I would say is very dangerous for us as well, and for the coming future as well. And this is something we need to focus on that. And uh, I believe the most important thing is that, as I said, religion can play a big role on that. And it's already playing a big role on it because religion is giving guidelines as well. As I just gave, gave the example of His Holiness, how he went or he met different world leaders, where he traveled around the world, where he gave speeches, guidelines, how to maintain peace through the teachings of the Holy Quran. But one thing he has always told us as well is that we it is time that we recognize our creator we recognize god because if we have sympathy with god if we have love with god of course we will have sympathy with his creation as well so that's why one most important thing is as well that we try to have a close relation with god as well dear listeners um i know uh it's a lot of uh, we can share um we uh before the listeners come before we go to our first segment uh let's see what the headlines are in the newspapers if you haven't read the newspapers the listeners the daily telegraph uh is saying that israel forces are expected for uh, to continue the ground invasion uh the daily telegraph said carried a picture of Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and says he used a televised address on Wednesday, yesterday, to cause the coming war in biblical terms. The paper quotes him saying that Israel's hellfire had already eliminated thousands of terrorists and saying that every member of Hamas was doomed. It adds that he would not be drawn onto the timing of any operation. The listener, as I said, of course I condemn uh, the horrific act committed by the Hamas. Um, f for me, for the loss, uh, for me, the, uh, the death of a civ uh, innocent civilian is a huge, huge sin, 
and uh, it's also uh, which is mentioned in the Holy Quran as well. But dear listeners, we need to understand that, as I said, the war is happening in two sides, and both sides, innocent civilians are dying, and a lot of children have lost their life already. Uh, if the war is between two parties, like Hamas and the army of Israel, then they should uh, fight each other, but they should not bring in other people into that. This is something uh, which the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, has beautiful explained as well. Before we have we had this inter, uh, international law, before we had, uh, let's say, um, yeah, those guidance given by the UN, we already had guidance from the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he explained that during the war, innocent people should uh, should not, uh, should not be killed. And uh, uh, also that trees or buildings should not be destroyed and the infrastructure of a country should not be destroyed as well. But in the recent past years, we have seen that innocent people have been killed, unfortunately. Buildings have been destroyed, unfortunately. Trees have been cut out, unfortunately. And the infrastructure of the whole country has been destroyed as well. And uh, this is, of course... uh, um, uh, against international law as well but also against the guidance given by the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and that's why I'm saying that before the international law came to exist the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has already given guidance about that as well 1400 years ago um, the, says, the I says the UK and others are trying to convince Israel to temporarily halt airstrikes on Gaza in order to let aid in Though it notes that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has stopped short of calling for a ceasefire. And um, The Guardian's reports that UN's Relief and Works Agency, the main provider of aid in Gaza, has warned that its operation level has to stop unless fuel supplies are allowed in. The paper says fuel is normally used to pump and uh, designate water, meaning that without it, people will be forced to drink dirty water that it is also needed to run hospital generators. It is also quotes Oxfam saying that Gaza is currently re- uh, receiving just 2% of its usual supply of food. Wait, again, another very sad uh, news. Um, this is the, D- the Daily Express carries a picture of three young boys in Gaza covered in dust and blood. Alongside another of a funeral for members of a British-Israeli family. Um, it says, in a brutal conflict that has claimed thousands of lives, the only thing they have in common is wretched grief. This is what I explained as well. And uh, this is what the Daily Express has just summarized as well. That in both sides, we see um, casualties as well. We see innocent you know, people losing their life and we see people in grief. And, uh, dear listeners, I just don't understand we're living here in the year of 2023. In the past, in history, Yes, the history has told us that in the past, the human being, the human race, has ma- done many, many mistakes. And uh, they solved their mistakes with war. And uh, the history has told us the bad income of a war, that innocent people are losing their life. And yet, till yet, in 2023, we're still doing the same thing, the, the same mistakes. It's like we have never learned anything from the history. We see the war between uh, Israel and uh, uh, Hamas, and we see that it is for me. It is like other people are behaving like children, 
and um, to maintain peace in the society in the world it is very important that you leave beside beside your ego and you just don't look for yourself but you look for the whole world and you try to help the whole world and you try to bring some goodness for the world this is very important dear listeners um otherwise as i said um the damage is already done um these people who lost their lives they won't come back unfortunately the only thing we can do is that we learn from the mistakes we have done and that we don't do them again um the listeners um the times uh, reports that labor leader sir keir starmer is said to have failed to heal the rift in parties over how it should respond to the crisis now the paper says in an interview sir keir starmer gave earlier this month in which he appeared to say Israel had the right to cut off water and uh, power and water in Gaza which has prompted thousands of emails from muslim voters consular designations and open letters from those who still representing the party sir kier later said he meant only to say that he had the right to self defense the time says sir kier held a meeting with around 12 muslim mps on wednesday to try to quell concerns but that up to four shadow cabinet minister are on designation watch again um as i said if you have the power if you can speak up and those politicians they have the power they can't speak up and they can maintain peace in a society they should have spoken up earlier as well and they should have um basically talked or advised other nations for ceasefire uh and so therefore they could save many many uh, innocent lives um according on with the daily mail um the daily mail describes labor as being in crisis and says circus face a major revolt by mps it quotes one source was who was at the meeting with mps saying that some of them were livid while another party insider says the mood among muslim mps is awful and um Financial Times reports that tumult in government bond markets and a rise in corporate borrowing costs have forced US companies to delay borrowing plans and led to the slowest October for debt insurance since 2011. The paper says many businesses stretched out the maturity of their debt, the date at which the debt that has to be repaid during the period of low interest rates after the pandemic and how and now have the luxury of waiting before returning to debt markets. The uh, Metro reports the news that a police officer who blackmailed underage girls into sending him explicit photos of themselves on Snapchat has been jailed for life. The paper reports that Louis Edwards, 24, messaged 210 girls aged 10 to 16, and that pictures of 207 of them were found on his devices. It says he was handed 13 life sentences with a minimum term of 12 years. though adds that he refused to face his victims and their families in court and the listeners um the mirror is reporting that a parole hearing next month for one of the men who killed infant james bugler in 1993 is to take place behind closed doors uh, john venables who was 10 at the time of the murder spent 8 years in jail before being released on license but in 2017 was jailed again after child abuse images were found on his computer journalist and james mother denise fergus 
has urged to parole hearing should take place in public. The paper reports that Ms. Fergus is said to be disappointed but not surprised at the decision. Of course, uh, it is uh, uh, because I'm, I have a child, I have two children, one is four and one is just a month old. Um, and you listen, since I have these children, um, I'm, let's say, one of the most scariest people in the world because I'm looking after the children and uh, this is one thing as well uh, which is causing trouble in our society that innocent children are being a uh, victim of um, people who just, let's say, can't control themselves, which is very sad as well and which has to stop as well. Um, and I think um, here the government needs to uh, come forward as well, needs to come with new plans as well, as well as the police should come with new plans as well. Um, we should, we need to save our um, generation. We need to save our children from, from these people. Do you listen? This is uh, what the newspaper are basically saying. Um, I'm going now for a short break. Do you listen? Just do me a favor. Um, we're going to start with the first segment, um, which is about economy, what basically makes economy grow. And I want to hear your thought as well about that. Do me a favor, the number is 0208-687-7878. Or you can go on our socials at Warsaw UK. Um do me a favor, call in. Let us know what you think about it. Uh and uh, I will be happy to know your thought as well. I'm going now for a short break. Stay tuned with the Wolf Islam Radio. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states. It is proper for you to have sympathy for others and to purify yourselves so that thereby you may share, to a degree, the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Remember that without the Holy Spirit, true righteousness cannot be attained. Discard altogether the base animal desires in you and follow the path to the pleasure of Allah, be it the narrowest and most difficult of all. Do not be enamored of worldly pleasures, because they lead you away from God. That suffering which pleases God is better than that pleasure which displeases Him. That defeat which pleases God is better than the victory which earns His displeasure. Abandon that love which draws you nigh to the wrath of Allah. If you come to Him with a pure heart, He will help you in every way and no enemy will be able to harm you. In of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. Welcome back to Breakfast Show. If you have just turned in, my name is Shahir Mir Ahmed, and today we will talk about, in the first um, 30 minutes, about economy. Basically, what makes an economy grow. Um, dear listeners, um, Rachel Rees, who was a member of parliament for Leeds West, she said, I'll be the iron chancellor who gets the UK economy back on track. So, dear listeners, now we look into what makes an economy grow. And I want to know you thought about this as well. The number is 0208-687-7878. Or you can go on our social at Voice Islam UK. We will discuss this now, but also from the Islamic pers- pers- uh, perspective. Sorry for that. But before that... um. What like what is economy and what impact does economy have in the society? So the listeners, economy is the state of a country or region in terms of the production and consumption of goods 
and services at the supply of money. Also, economy is important because the goods and services that we all need are not just there. They need to be produced. And growth means that their quality and quantity increases. So for the society, it means good health, a place to live, access to education, nutrition, social connection, respect, peace, human rights, a healthy environment, happiness. So the economy also affects things like the cost of living, access to healthcare and, and education, and even things like crime rate. When people have more money, they are generally able to afford better healthcare and education unless, and are less likely to turn to crime as a way to make ends meet. For the general public, the main impact is the cost of living. Now, the economy has a direct impact on our spending ability, and economic recession generally leads to an increased cost of living. So, um, factors if you need, like, what is what helps uh, economy uh, to grow, and why is it difficult to keep uh, consistent? Um, so, that first of all, natural resources dealers. Now, the discovery of more natural resources such as oil or mineral deposits will give a boost to the economy by increasing a country's production capacity. Of course, infrastructure is also very important because. This lack of infrastructure is often a factor holding back some developing economies. Technology is also important because improvement in technology have a high impact on economic growth and human resources because the skills, education and training of the labor force have a direct effect on the growth of an economy. And last, which I think is very, very important, education. Education helps and grow and develop, resulting in the development of the economy. Um. We have also the listeners because uh, it's not me who's going to talk or uh, during the segment. We have, as I said, two uh, guests, and we are going now to the first guest, which is basically pre-recording um, with Professor Malcolm Sawyer. Um, I'm gonna add the pre-recording now. Do me a favor, do enjoy the pre-recording, and do stay tuned with the Voice of Some Radio. So I'm pleased to say that we do have a guest on call. Uh, we have uh, Malcolm Sawyer. Um, who is Emeritus Professor of Economics, University of Leeds. Um, he continues to pursue economic research on a range of topics, including uh, fiscal policies and alternatives to austerity, um, policies for full employment, uh, economics of stagnation and monetary policy. He was the lead coordinator for the EU uh, funded 8 million euros, 15 partners, five years project on uh, financialization, economic society and sustainable development. Um, thank you very much, uh, Professor. Uh, thank you for joining the breakfast show. Uh, glad to join you. Good morning. How are you doing? Good? Okay. Yes, thanks. Thank you very much for joining. Um, so, Professor, um, you know, the UK economy appears to be stagnating, especially compared to countries in the Eurozone. Uh, why, is this, uh, why is this the case and what steps can be undertaken to ensure the economy grows in the next year or so? Well, I think the UK economy is, broadly speaking, being stagnating now for um, maybe 15 years since the uh, global financial crisis. Uh, but it's also a number of the European countries are also in a rather similar position, uh, Germany, France, Italy, um, for example. So it's a broader problem than just uh, for the UK. Uh, so that um, because of the history of the last 15 years, 
the effects of the global crisis, the uh, patterns of austerity, uh, in the case of the UK, also Brexit, all of these have had the effect of lowering investment in the UK, mm-hmm. lowering economic activity in the in the UK. And so all of this has put a sort of a dampener on, uh, on, on growth in the UK economy. Uh, and also in the background is that generally um, a range of other factors like um, demography, the population is, is on the whole not growing. Um, so all of these factors feed into uh, slowing down the economy and uh, getting close to stagnation. Interesting. So, um, to what extent are factors such as you know the Ukraine war and other conflicts affecting the UK economy? Uh, the, the Ukraine war, um, I don't think all that much. It's uh, clearly had the effect um, of raising energy prices mm-hmm. and, uh, to some extent, food prices. Although it has gone up for other reasons as well. So that's um, affected inflation in the UK, um, but in other respects, the um, uh, the failure to, to invest sufficiently and so forth, that has not been affected by by the Ukraine war. So globally, there's a, a tendency for um, uh, economies to slow down. China, for example, is slowing down. So a number of these um, global factors are, are feeding to the UK, but Something like the UK, the Ukraine war is not having, I don't think, a particularly large effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, the Bank of England's approach has been questioned by numerous economic analysts mm-hmm. as being too slow and being, you know, part in increasing financial instability. However, is this a like a fair representation? If not, um, then what should have they have done? Um I think the the Bank of England has been sort of charged with setting monetary policy and setting interest rates in order in in to to bring down inflation. Yeah. And they've been raising interest rates um, uh, in an attempt to do so. In my from my point of view, the uh, problem is that interest rates are going to have very little effect upon, if any, on inflation. So interest rates are rising. But it's not really having any effect upon inflation. So the England's in this position where it's sort of told to do something, but it doesn't really have the means to do so. And so I would blame the government much more for letting inflation get out of control by not addressing, for example, uh, very high energy prices in a much more vigorous way than it did. Mm-hmm. And the Bank of England is now is sort of stuck <laughs> trying to address this. But I think also in the background, one we're also I think the policy that the Bank of England pursued really for the last um, 10 years, and particularly since COVID, of very very low interest rates, was itself unsustainable, and led, has led into some of these problems of trying to now adjust their interest rates upwards uh, after a long period of. Um, low interest rates so that with a very low in- interest rate has meant that now when they put up interest rates from half a percent five percent or more it has a very dramatic effect particularly on things like mortgages so I would blame the uh, Bank of England for the sort of policies it's been pursuing for the last uh, ten years yeah 
Interesting. Okay. I mean, you probably you already like answered sort of the question that you know the increasing of inflation has seen the price of everyday goods mm-hmm. uh, increase as well. However, uh, what steps can we uh, take to ensure inf- inflation decreases, and how soon can this be done? Well, I think people will agree that the causes of inflation in the UK have largely, but not entirely, been. Um, from outside the UK, so it's been the big rise in energy, the very dramatic rise in energy prices, the the rise in in, in food prices, and these are things which, uh, within the UK, is very difficult to do anything about. Uh, now, there's also been it, it, it would appear that uh, many companies have taken advantage of this inflation by pushing up profits. So, in order for in inflation to come down it's i think partly a matter of have almost keeping your fingers crossed that those dramatic rises in energy prices and in food prices now begin to unwind and come down so that energy prices now will be significantly lower than they were last winter uh, hopefully so that will help to bring down inflation and at the same time i think the government needs to uh, tackle much more uh, the uh, what looks like on, on the whole often excessive profits being gained by companies uh, during this inflationary period. So I think one of the main things which the government really didn't do sufficient about last year was really to protect people from the dramatic rises in energy prices m- much more than they did. And if they had done so, that would have been much more helpful in keeping down inflation. And many many countries in Europe, for example, have a, much, a far better um, record of on inflation than the UK does. They did manage to find ways of restraining inflation, and now it's in many cases um, significantly lower than it is in the UK. Interesting. Uh, so you know, uh, during the Labour conference speech, uh, Rachel Reeves yeah. said that. Uh, I'll be the Iron Chancellor who gets the UK economy back on track. Uh, from your point of view, what uh, would uh, you know that look like? Uh, I have to say I don't know because I think most of what Rachel Reeves says is very confusing. Uh, I think it being an Iron Chancellor, which really means uh, having a program of austerity and and, and saying that we can't e- expand. Um, expenditure on the health service and we can't borrow to uh, undertake a Green New Deal, those will be actually very harmful uh, to try and get in the UK back on track. So on the one side, we we need a much greater policy of expanding the public sector, public public health expenditure, and also adopting a, a real Green New Deal so that we can address the uh, pressing problems of climate change and in, in, in the process of doing so would help to create jobs and it would help to create uh, some growth in the economy. Yes. On the other side, just talk about investment in, uh, increasing but really no, but no measures which would actually bring about that uh, private investment uh, and so that it's um, talking about getting the British economy on track really requires that uh, uh, detailed policies are put in place. A detailed, for example, industrial strategy uh, on 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 the Green New Deal. A detailed policy of reviving the public sector. All of those are needed if they're going to get back on track. 
and that requires getting away with any notion of being an iron chancellor. It requires stimulating the economy, not uh, knocking it on the, on its head. Interest, interesting points you have mentioned. Professor Markham, thank you very much for joining the Breakfast Show. Um, thank you very much for taking our time and we do hope we see you again on the Breakfast Show. Thank you very much. Thank It's you. been a Bye. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Dear listeners, you just listened to Professor Malcolm Sayer, sorry for that, who is a professor of economics at the University of Leeds. And dear listeners, uh, very interesting what he just said as well. Uh, I did make some notes as well. Um, you know, um, talking about economy uh, and what Islam has contributed to that is also very amazing. Um, it reminds me on uh, one verse, dear listeners, um, where Allah says that, He says that, Yes, which means it's from uh, chapter 2 verse 20 where Allah says that that is everything that is found in, in the world has been created by Allah for the benefit of mankind. Now, you see that Allah has given everything and it is like a trust, right? He gave it to us and he just wants to see how we basically make a good use of it. But as he said, it is for everyone, right? It's not just for yourself. No, you have a business. You are not answerable to anyone. But in the end, you are answerable to God. He wants to know how you deal with those things which he has provided. All those natural things like gold, silver, which you find, or all those chem chemicals, chemical things which you find are basically given to God. And from these things, like the chemicals, you make uh, medicines which are helpful for people. Yeah, as I said, um, you find so many things like in uh, gold, silver, all these pre precious metals which you need which we need basically in our life, uh, for us as well. And God basically will ask in the end, listen, this is something I have given to you. Yes, you found it, but it's basically from me given to you. Now, I just want to see how you deal with these things, how you help people, how you help your society. All right, and, um, and in the end, I will ask you about that. So it comes to the point of justice as well. That Allah just wants to see, okay, have you um, treated everyone with justice and have you helped people with, or have you, yes, have you helped the society to to prosper with all these things which I have basically given to you, you know, uh, mountains, rivers, minerals, wealth, and all these uh, which, uh, things which you need for human, for, for us, which, for where we can progress. These things are basically given to Allah for, to us. And Allah is a, uh, it's just a thing which, is a, which Allah will ask us in the end that, listen, I've given you these things and, and, uh, and I just want to see how you deal with that. And the only thing I want from, from you is that you use these things with justice as well so everyone can basically benefit from that as well. Dear listeners, um, we'll come now to our first live guest, which who is uh, Abdul Qayyum Rashid, a business professional in public and private enterprise in residential and commercial accusations. In addition, managing a collective of small businesses, including coffee shops and special needs consulting, promoting independent living in the private sector. Dear listeners, he has been many, many times on the breakfast show as well as a presenter. And he served at the National Executive AMIA, which is the Ahmadi Muslim Youth Association, for eight years and now has promoted to the Ahmadi Muslim Elder Association for four years, which means that he has become old. Um, and as I said, yes, he has been a pre pre presenter and producer as well. Um, Gayum, how comes that we don't hear your voice anymore in the breakfast show? But whenever I turn on the radio in the evening, I just <laughs> see you listening in the drive time show. Did, did you just switch sides? What happened? What happened is, as you said, I've gotten old. <laughs> you young people have 
you, you young people have come in and, and taken over. <laughs> all right, all right. By the grace of by the grace of God, like how it should be. No, but you know, um, when you grow old, you become wise as well. And now, as being a guest, you are a businessman. Like maybe there are young people listening or just want to start a business. And let's say someone wants to become rich, like rich, like really rich, like Elon Musk type of rich. What advice would you mm-hmm. give to these people? What should they? How should they start? How did you start your business? Well. First and foremost, this this notion, I mean, you, you said it, um, you know, if somebody wants to become rich like Elon Musk, the, the problem in the society and we're living at the moment, they always talk about people like Elon Musk, but they never talk about the decades Elon Musk has spent um, in hard working, in researching, in education, um, in talking to people, in networking. It spent, you know, a couple of decades to get to where he is. The problem nowadays is everybody talks of getting rich, mm. yet um, nobody's willing to spend those decades. Nobody's willing to spend time in uh, investing in themselves and investing in the idea that they might have. So, you know, asking me what one needs to do to get to someone like Elon Musk, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But from a small business point of view, I would say to you, look, um, you need to know what you're, what, what you're getting yourself into. You need, to be, uh, you need to have knowledge about what you're getting yourself into. You need to give time. Time is, uh, is, is a sacrifice that a lot of people are not willing to make. Working for yourself is very, very mm-hmm. rewarding. Mm-hmm. It is you are in control of your time. It is rewarding. You do make more money. You know, I remember when again going back twenty odd years. If you were to um, invest, you know, most people work forty, forty to fifty hours a week for someone else, generating money for someone else, and get paid a salary. Whereas if you were to spend quality forty to fifty hours in yourself in looking to make money you probably would earn at least double what you are earning for someone else so mm. for me you know it's about time it's about commitment uh, it's about education um, it's about networking there's a, there, there are a lot of things that need to be put together that uh, you need to apply in order to start a business and again we're in the in in the time of of uh, um you know ai so there are the, the the way the business businesses happens um it's changing you need to be able to change with the technology that's coming into the business sector understand and um you you just talked about like you talk about the things which uh, people need to sacrifice like time and then there should be commitment as well uh, i have friends who have started businesses right and who stopped in the end as well because somehow they struggle a lot but there are still few of my friends who still have businesses but nowadays they talk about um cost of living crisis which is a widely discussed uh, topic an issue as well um How much is that a contribution factor in the economy's ups and downs? 
it's a huge factor, um, especially if you're in the people business. But just to address the point you made about a lot of your friends, what people don't realize is more, between 60 to 70% of new businesses, um, they close. Companies, who people who, who start new companies to start a business, around average is 60 to 65%. They tend to close after, after a short while, within a year of them opening because of one reason or the other. Mm-hmm. And in recent days, cost of living has had an impact because you have to realize that if people haven't got the money to pay for their bills, if people don't have money to um, feed themselves and their families and their children, if they don't have enough money to pay the rent or to pay their mortgage, then of course the first thing that they will cut down or um, if they were to budget themselves is they will cut down on their spending um, on uh, on other uh, on other items, uh, you know, it, it uh, and if they stop spending money within the economy, then of course businesses where they normally spend their money will be affected. And from this point, the cost of living also affects the business because their rents are all going up. They still have to pay their stuff. It's it's actually a cycle that you know, it's churning. And even if one cut or bolt within this cycle gets affected, it affects the whole cycle. Hmm. That makes sense. But, you know, one thing as well, what I've seen, like, you know, my I won't say that my friends are not educated. They are educated. But sometimes they say that a few things are not addressed in the school, uh, probably. Um, do you Without think, a doubt. Like, Without a doubt. Look, uh, life skills, financial hmm. skills, Finance, financing, budgeting, organizing, these are, these are not just subjects mm. uh, from an academic point of view. These are life skills. And these life skills need to be taught at school how to budget, how to run a house. Um, term, we, we, we get so lost in terminology and jargon. I mean, I was listening to the professor earlier, and, and, and rightfully so, the professor was talking about politicians and and some of Mm. the jargon that they use you know like uh, i'm going to be an iron chancellor when when a when a small business person like me listens to a politician say they're going to be an iron chancellor i interpret that they haven't got a policy because they are just sticking to labels um or they have a policy that they don't want public know because it will be criticized so we get so lost in bargain where small businesses are kind of the back, especially in the UK economy, more than 40%. And 40% of the economy, um, the contribution to the economy is done by small businesses. I understand. Now I understand. Um, I, I think, Kim, uh, you made very good points as well. And um uh, I hope those young listeners have listened to it as well. And one of them, if one of them becomes rich like Elon Musk, then do me a favor. His name is Abdul Qayyum Rashid. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he is happily to sh- uh, happy to share his bank accounts with you guys. Then in the end as well, uh, Qayyum, thank you for joining. Uh, I wish you all the best for the uh, for your future and for the business as well you have started. May Allah bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Listeners, um, we're going now for a short clip. Uh, stay tuned with Voice on Radio. This is uh, common knowledge that we are living 
at a time and in a society which is uh, not uh, complying with the Islamic values. Right. We, we know all of that. But we know what Islamic values are in business, in trade. And these Islamic values go back to the time of the Holy Prophet Wasallam. He himself was a very successful traitor. And as we, as we all know, uh, he was very, very successful. But his, his principle was that in trade and dealing and business, absolute integrity and uh, morality should be observed. And he was very particular that uh, nothing comes into the market which is uh, contrary to the samples which have been shown to the other party. Right. Okay. And um, actually, sometimes he went to the markets and there were heaps of corn, etc. Um, and he would uh, put a stick, you know, in the heap mm -hmm. just to make sure that what is on the top is also right there underneath. So, honesty and integrity uh, and uh, the passion to benefit others, the care of others, that is really very important. I mean, there is nothing wrong with anyone to have two cars or two houses. But what is important is not to forget the needy lot around us, within our family and within the community as well. If their needs are fulfilled, then whatever Allah has given to us is Allah's favor. And that Allah very clearly says that Allah favors some more than others. So some have more favors of Allah than others. Some have two cars, others may have no car right. at all. But that is all the favor of Allah. And we have to look up to him to provide us whatever we need in this okay. life. It seems like it's an interesting point because some people, uh, they're so scared of being materialistic that they take it to an extreme. Uh, where they say, actually, do you know, my, my car is falling apart, but I won't get a new one because of, you know, X, Y, Z reason, because it'll be too materialistic and I don't want to be seen with a new car. And, and this, do you think there's actually a danger of, of taking it too far? Whereas, actually, from what we've heard from Yasub Islam, you know, doesn't say to get rid of business and trade completely, but maybe just encourages it within sure. certain limits. I think if you look at Islam, Islam preaches moderation. And moderation basically means that you should not only live with your means, but you should also be moderate in a sense that you don't have to go either to the extreme right or the extreme left. Mm -hmm. So if you have the means to provide for the basic necessities for yourself and your family, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says very clearly uh, in, in, in the Holy Quran that He will provide you for ease for yourself and your families, so you need to take care of them in a sense. In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. My name is Shah Munir Ahmed and we still continue about the topic first segment about the first segment which is about economy and you, listen, um, you just listened to um, a clip where they talked about the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and this, this remind me this remind me that the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he was a trader as well uh, like he, he was a businessman so he, he would trade uh, things with other people like anything clothes or metal or any useful things which are very important for us you would trade them with other people but what is known when he used to do this is that he was known as a, the most trustful person and he would make the most um, win of everyone else so he would never lie he would always tell the truth and this is very important uh, what Islam, uh, God has said also that if you are a businessman if you have started your business 
remember God is watching and if you if you trust God, God will provide you with the best means as well. Um, the best example you have is the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Um, and the, also, um, His Holiness has said that um, he has said that once in a sermon on, on 8th June 2007, he stated that, in fact, it has come to notice that the poor and less resourceful people are often those who make larger financial sacrifices, keeping in perspective their economic standards. So an MD should not indulge in fulfilling his or her own desire alone, but should respect the desire and needs of his brother, sister, poor and other. So in the end, as I said, as I said in the, before as well, that Islam is, is a religion of Allah has, has commanded us that when he has given us something in trust he wants to see us if we are dealing with these things in justice if we are giving these things to those people who actually need those things as well so this is what islam says about economy as well um i'm uh, i'm coming now to our second segment um which is managing our emotional intelligence ei so um emotions every one of us has emotion have emotion so many of them you know, about these emotions, so many of them, there are so many that some feelings were shared, some we don't, some we cannot describe, and some we rather keep to us alone. Now, did you, now, did you know a recent study found that there are 27 distinct emotions we feel? Now, we analyzed the significance of emotional intelligence and how it applicable, how it is applicable in different areas of life. Um, now, First of all, we need to understand what is emotional intelligence. Um, so emotional intelligence is basically the ability to recognize or to understand, manage, and effectively use of one's own emotions and the emotions of others. The encompasses empathy, self-awareness, interpersonal skills, and emotional regulation. Now, from an Islamic perspective, because dear listeners, everything we discuss, we will discuss this from the Islamic perspective as well. Now, if you look from the Islamic perspective, uh, this comp uh, concept aligns with the uh, saying of the Holy Prophet stating that the strong person is not the one who defeats other in wrestling, but the one who can control his anger. His anger. So this saying emphasizes the importance of emotional self-regulation, which in turn relates to health. Um, also, you know, Islam speaks about, for example, about patience as well. Uh, that if you see something which, um, let's say, you like, you want to have it now, or you don't like, you dislike it, in every regards, and everything, God has told us that we need to show patience as well. If we lose someone who's very dear to us, that in even in this sense, in this moment, we need to show patience. We should show patience as well. Um, no, the Islam is basically maintaining emotional composure and controlling one's anger in crucial, which is very crucial for the well-being. Now, for, for example, the Quran, all the sayings of the Holy Prophet emphasize patience, as I just mentioned before, or steadfastness, in facing life's trials and tribulations, now, which can impact one's mental and physical health. Emotional intelligence is essential because it helps individuals manage stress more effectively, build healthier relationships, and make better decisions, which is consistent with Islamic teachings. For example, uh, in Islam, the importance of managing our emotional under the highlighted, uh, which is um, sorry, which is highlighted by the saying of the Holy Prophet, which is narrated by Abu Huraira, where the Prophet said, "The strong is one is, is is not he who knocks out other in wrestling, but the strong one is he who keeps controlling his anger." 
and is also a, Uh, the second uh, condition of our bed of the oath we take when we enter the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And the founder have made the, uh, said that the second condition of the oath is that he or she shall keep away from falsehood, adultery, trespass of the eye, debauchery, deception, cruelty, dishonesty, mischief and rebellion. And that he or she will not permit himself herself to be carried away by patience. Patience, sorry. However, strong they might be. Now, this is the conditions uh, and responsibility of Ahmadi, described by the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, that when you enter the, this community, that you, show you have, that you should have your emotions in control and in difficult moment, um, which he described as well, like adultery, falsehood, uh, where you think that uh, when you lie, you will be, um, you will be released from... Uh, difficulties uh, is basically wrong and in this sense he has described us that we should follow the uh, Islamic perspective the Islamic teaching which is mostly about uh, showing patience as well um, dear listeners um, we have a segment uh, for this segment we have two um, interviews prepared um, I'm going to uh, now the first interview which is with Dr. Maurice um Do me a favor, do enjoy this interview and stay tuned with the Voice Islam Radio. Dear listeners, I'm very delighted to have with me Dr. Maurice J. Elias, who is a professor of the ecology department and he is board president of SEL for us and is on the leadership team of SEL for NJ and co-directs the academic, the Academy for School Emotional Learning in Schools. He has co-written Morning Classroom Conversation, Bulky Students, Social and Emotional, character and communication skills every day and students taking action together. Five teaching techniques to cultivate SEL, civic engagement and a healthy democracy. Now for parents, he has written Emotionally Intelligent Parenting, Talking Treasure, Stories to Help Build Emotional Intelligence and Resilience in Young Children. Uh, Dr. Maurice, welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure is all mine. Um, Dr. Maurice, for our listeners, could you please explain how emotional intelligence works and what is not considered as part of emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence, by the way, is similar to what also is referred to as social and emotional learning. You'll see these terms used interchangeably. So you, some of my work has been in social emotional learning, but, but it's all the same. This is just a term to describe all the skills that we have as human beings to get along with each other. And this is not something that's created or invented, but really it's just recognized and named. We are all born with these skills. We have them from the moment we arrive on the earth until the moment we depart. And they help us do things like get along with each other, like be involved in groups, like set goals, so when you ask the question, what's not part of emotional intelligence, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to say what's not part of emotional intelligence. It's sort of like, you know, what's not part of breathing? Emotional mm -hmm. intelligence is a core aspect of every one of our lives. I understand. And um, doctor, um, what factors influence our emotional intelligence and how can we manage it well? Well, you know, we, we, it helps to be aware of it. 
it helps to be aware of the fact that emotional intelligence is not a trait. It's a set of skills. And it's a set of skills that we want to get better at. And one of the things that we have to understand is that we, when we look around the world today, we recognize how important these emotional intelligence skills are. For example, we recognize the preeminent importance of empathy. We recognize the preeminent importance of problem solving. We recognize the preeminent importance of being aware of the perspective of other people. And once one is aware of these things, there are programs that can develop them. There are programs in the UK. Uh, University of Manchester uh, has uh, some of the leading experts on social and emotional learning uh, and what, what is called their social emotional academic learning um, any place. So, uh, so there are many, many ways that already exist in the UK and the US to build these competencies. You know, part of my role is to make sure that they're part of what happens in school, mm -hmm. that when we have our kids in school, we want to make sure they emerge with the skills they need for life. And of course, they need academic skills, but they also need social emotional skills, the skills of emotional intelligence. And this is interesting. And uh, Doctor, um, how does managing emotional intelligence differ in one's personal and professional lifestyle? Well, that's uh, personal and professional lifestyle sometimes uh, are more convergent and sometimes they're, they're, they're more different. These skills are always important, but, but the most important uh, element of emotional intelligence skills is that we have to modulate them, modify them for the situation that we're in. For example, we have to behave differently with our children than we do with our coworkers. And part of this is because our emotional intelligence is telling us that people need different things from us. And, and we have to be attentive when we're interacting with people to how are they receiving what we're saying? How are they responding to what we're doing? You know, one of the, one of the challenges sometimes uh, for radio as a medium is mm -hmm. that, for example, for me, it doesn't give me the chance to see you and how you're responding to what I'm saying. Um, and, and that's why we don't have a set of emotional skills that we apply uniformly in every situation, that part of being emotionally intelligent is to know how to manage your skills appropriately for the different situations that you're in, the different people that you're with, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I understand that. And um, Dr. Uh, just last question. Uh, should managing emotional intelligence be taught at school? And in your opinion, how does emotional intelligence change as you grow older? Well, I think emotional intelligence should be taught in schools in the mm -hmm. same way as we teach uh, reading. Um, you know, um, I think it's safe to say we would agree, we'd all agree that someone who doesn't have the ability to read faces many, many challenges in life. And I would also say that someone who doesn't know how to read feelings, read emotions, read situations, also will have many, many challenges in life. And as we grow, 
we have the same basic set of skills, but we use them in more sophisticated ways. And the analogy that I can give you is the example of the alphabet. Uh, you know, if you had young children, and, and I have young grandchildren, um, we all teach them the alphabet, they repeat it, and they learn the alphabet song, and, and that's all wonderful. And then they start to put, use the alphabet to, to, to read simple books, uh, and then more and more complicated books as they get older. Their writing goes from, you know, those a couple of sentences on, on very lined paper to much more sophisticated things as they get older. It's the same thing with emotional intelligence. We have a basic set of emotional intelligence skills, self-awareness, ability to manage our emotions, the ability to take perspective and empathy, problem-solving, relationships. I mean, this basic set of skills gets more sophisticated as we get older. As we get older, we're better able to take the perspective of other people. As we get older, we're more able to think in terms of the future. We're able to think three, four, five steps ahead. Oh. And so in, and, 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 and we're able to deal with more complicated situations. So emotional intelligence is already in every school because it's already in every person in every school. So what this really means is that if we want to fully develop this very important skill, we need to teach it explicitly. We need to talk about it explicitly. Wow. And, and, the, and the research has shown that when you add some time in the school day to teach emotional intelligence, you actually get back more instructional time because there are fewer disciplinary problems. The kids are able to learn better, interact with each other better. There's less need for the teacher kind of stop and talk about behavior issues. So people who sometimes say, well, you know, the school day is so crowded, we don't have time for this. Uh, the reality is you're already doing this and you're doing it in a, in a sort of a negatively provoked time by building this into the school day a little bit every day and you do this over multiple years, we could have a much more emotionally intelligent population Oh, interesting. Um, Dr. Maurice, um, thank you for joining and thank you for your part as well. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you as well. It's a very interesting uh, topic as well. Um, I hope we can have you one day again. Uh, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you for joining. It was my great pleasure. Thank you. So, dear listeners, you just listened to Dr. Maurice. And we carry on with uh, um, the topic uh, from the Islamic perspective. Um, because God has said, uh, in uh, because uh, He said that all oh, you believe, be steadfast and strive to excel in steadfastness. As you know, in your life, you have experienced many times temptations, or you were tested, or you have to go through difficulties. And this is what God basically says that He puts us on this test to see if we are steadfast or not. He also says that really the steadfast shall have the reward without measure. And in the end, you know, this Islam encourages us to self-analyze and to improve our behavior towards others. The Prophet Messiah, the founder of this community, says each day every person should analyze himself and see to what extent he is concerned of the well-being of others and what to what extent he shows love and compassion to his brothers. For those um, uh, who wants to be very close to God, um, I think the best thing is if you want to please God, 
then just do whatever he wants. And even if you think that you're not getting anything, then 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 accept it only to please God. In the end, God has said that he is always with those who say steadfastness, who show patience. This is what he said in the Holy Quran, that I am with those who show patience. That And in the end, if you have Allah with yourself, in, with your side, then you don't need anything else. And that's, that's why I'm just sad that if you want to try, if you try to please God, dear listeners, just to understand that if you try to please God, you obviously would do everything what he makes, what make, what makes him happy. And if he's happy with you, obviously he will grant you everything what you need. But first and most important thing is try to start pleasing Allah. And if he pleased with you, then you will get everything you need. And remember, if you go to hardship, show patience. Allah is with those who show patience. This is why he said in the Holy Quran, which gives me in difficult times always... Um, uh, which hope as well and one thing he also said is that Allah that with the remembrance of Allah hearts feel find comfort and this is what we need so do remember Allah and you will see that every difficulties you face it will go away uh, because you know that Allah is watching and listening and is ready to help dear listeners um, there's one uh, another um, interview I want to share with you as well um, but before we do that uh, it's a short clip uh, we have prepared as well and after that clip we will air the interview my question is how can we conquer our anger so you see the holy prophet said when you are attacked by the anger then you should say istighfar and drink cold water if you are standing you just sit down eh? so if you are going to fight with somebody and otherwise, if otherwise, then say istighfar. And uh, by saying istighfar, you can overcome on your anger. Dear listeners, so I have Colin McLaren with me, who is MED and is an award-winning author, educator, workplace consultant, and social science researcher. Now, her work revalues even the most negative emotions and opens startling new pathways to self-awareness effective communication and healthy sympathy. Melissa, she is the founder and CEO of Emotion Dynamics Incorporated Company, and she is also the author of many books, including The Language of Emotions, The Power of Emotions at Work, and Embracing Anxiety. And she is the developer of the online learning site www.empathyacademy.org. Carla McLaren, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm actually very delighted to have you with me right now. Um, Carla, before um, we start, like, uh, before we come to the actual topic, I just want to know about the website empathyacademy.org. Empathy Academy is an online learning site where you can come and take courses. We also have an international group of licensees in my work uh, in 15 countries. And so if people want to learn more about this work, uh, they can come to Empathy Academy. Amazing. And uh, Carla, um, because you are an award-winning author, and uh, you have a book called The Language of Emotion. For mm -hmm. listeners, can you please explain more on how we can understand our emotions? For centuries, I think, emotions have been treated as a problem, as something that you want to get over or, or repress or deny or somehow get away. But as we're learning now, emotions are actually central aspect of everything we do, every thought, 
every action, every behavior is moderated by our emotions. And so if we don't know what they are or how they work, we will not understand ourselves very well. So learning about emotions is crucial to learning about how you and other people function. Amazing. And um, Carla, now I'm on Amazon, and your book, your listeners have booked The Language of Emotions, had 834 global ratings, and almost 90% of them are positive, which is amazing. And Carla, yeah. if you don't mind, can I just read out a few um, comments? There's one who said that uh, well-written book, I have learned so much, and one said it's an eye-opener. And then there's another one who said, even in the first few chapters, which I read on the bus, I had to restrain myself from shouting and crying, which is a positive way. So amazing. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to mind to buy the book as well. Uh, people uh, have left um, good comments on that book as well. So dear listeners, the language of emotion, that's how the book is called. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, and uh, yeah. I think like it's a good way to learn uh, understand emotions as well, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Nala, I just want to know about emotional intelligence. Like, how is yeah. emotional intelligence a part of self-awareness? It's a huge part of self-awareness. I would say it is the central piece of self-awareness because um, the neuroscientist of emotion, Antonio Damasio, has been arguing for quite a while that we cannot have self-awareness without emotion. Um, that uh, we can't have consciousness without emotions. And I think he's right on this because um, it, it is emotions that help you understand the world. They help you make sense of incoming information and they help you understand yourself and others. Interesting. And Carla, um, now the, according to a recent study, there are seven to 27 distinct emotions we feel. Now, is that more or less than you expect? And from your experience, what is the most dominant emotion? I have to say, I didn't know about this study, so I went and looked at it. And it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. They left out nine emotions, and they added a whole bunch of things that aren't emotions. Oh, so okay. good try, you guys. Good try. <laughs> um, uh, from the most dominant emotion that I would think it really depends on the day and the people. If you're on the internet where people are being cranky, um, you know, and, and commenting in rude ways, probably anger and panic would be the most dominant emotion or, or, or jealousy uh, that people don't know how to work with. But also I see a lot of happiness on the internet, a lot of people sharing funny things. So um, happiness is also up there too, happiness and amusement. And do you think like of these like, let's say negative and happy emotions, do you think social media is playing a big role on it because you just talked about internet as well? Yeah, yeah. Social media is very emotionally manipulative, as you probably know. Um, there's some studies that show that people who are on Facebook or Instagram, especially teenagers, uh, tend to feel more depressed. Um, and it could be that they're just being shown too much you know, rough information that they can't process all of it. And so it's really important when you're on social media to to become um, almost like a, a critic of the emotional messages that are being sent to you. 
if you know what I mean, to say, oh, mm. is this one trying to make me feel angry? And do I mm. want to feel angry right now? Um, instead of just going along with it. So because now we have, like, we're living in a time of social media, do you think that anxiety, negative emotions tend to be more dominant than other emotions, especially in this day and age? Yeah. Now, in, in my work, I, I don't call emotions negative or positive because they're just parts of your brain and parts of your, you know, body. So, you know, you wouldn't call your heart positive and your lungs negative. It's the same with emotions. They're organs. So they all have a purpose. Anxiety purpose is to help us uh, plan for the future and make sure that everything's going to be okay. Um, anger's purpose is to help us boundaries around what we value. If we don't know that, if we don't know what our emotions are or how they work, then we can turn them into negative things because, you know, from if you've seen many people will take their anger and attack people with it. Mm. That's a choice they're making. And it's a negative choice, but it's not anger's fault. I mean, that's not the heart of anger. So I think that's one of the important things is that we have lots and lots of choices with what we do with our emotions. We're not puppets. Interesting. And um, Carla, you said there are nine distinct emotions we can feel, like the negative and the positive emotions. What are those seven other seven emotions we can basically feel? I'm sorry, I missed that. I love the question. I said, like, which are those other seven emotions we can feel? Ah, I work with um, a, a model of seven emotions in four families, the anger family, the happiness family, the mm -hmm. sadness family, and the fear family. And um, in the, you know, in the positive and negative emotion world, only three of those are positive. And that means that we tend to not pay much attention to the other 14 emotions. And so that can train us to be sort of emotionally incompetent in a way. If we focus only on the three allegedly positive emotions, we won't develop a full range of skills. And so that's one of the first things is to to take away that concept of positive and negative. And that really frees people to be able to experience the full range of emotions. And, Hannah, um, you know, there are most people who are saying, that, you know, I just want to think positive. I just want to stay positive. And sometimes they just go through negative emotions as well. I believe, I think, um, both are important. I just want to know your experience. Do you think that, uh, uh, experiencing good and bad emotions are helpful for our life? Definitely. I mean, of course, I wouldn't call them good or bad, but mm. what I've found is the, the, the larger and deeper I can go into, the larger number of emotions that I can feel, the better I am at living life and understanding people and understanding myself. So the whole thing ends up having a positive effect. The understanding the so-called negative emotions has a positive effect on your entire life and your relationships as well. Carla, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you and uh, I'm very grateful for your thought as well. And Elizabeth, as I said, she's a award-winning author. The book's name is The Language of Emotion, which you can buy on Amazon as well. I would definitely recommend that book as well. Uh, furthermore, you can go and learn on the website, uh, empathyacademy.org. 
she's the developer of that online learning site as well. Uh, Carla, thank you for joining. Um, I wish you all the best for the future, and hopefully one day we can have you again in a, in a breakfast show. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. You too. Thank you. So, dear listeners, you just listened to Carla McLaurin. And, uh, dear listeners, um, coming back, because I want to wrap up the segment, but I want to wrap it uh, up with the Islamic perspective as well. Um, because in Islam, dear listeners, maintaining emotional composure or and controlling one's anger is crucial for overall well-being. And Islamic teachings emphasize emotional control as exemplified by the saying of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu that the strong a strong person is not the one who defeats others in resting, but the one who controls their anger. Now, this illustrates that emotional control is a sign of strength and resilience. Therefore, while many people recognize EI, it is important to clarify that it is not about extreme emotional expression or suppression. Rather, dear listeners, it's about understanding and managing emotions effectively while adhering to Islamic principles of balance, self-control, and empathy. Uh, His Holiness, may Allah be salpa, said that uh, uh, it is a fact that one is is impressed and affected by the environment in which one he is. Now, befriending people of high morals improves one's ethic, just as keeping the company of moral wrong people can only plunge one in moral lowness. Lowness. Now, the effect of the company one keeps is so fundamental that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, used to profusely say, Astaghfar, seek for divine forgiveness, which we have heard in the audio clip as well, and in the, when he was in the gathering. Now, His Holiness, uh, the, uh, the head of the Muslim community, drew the attention of parents and children alike to this issue and spoke at length on the inculcate of their children as a sense of belonging and connection with God and to do this Hazud said the parents first need to be in the category of the truthful the youngsters should be encouraged to keep in touch with the community and told that those who take them away from Allah could never be their true friends and as I said if you have Allah as your friend if you please Allah of course Allah will be pleased with you and if he, please, if he is pleased with you you won't have any danger or problems in your life even if you go through these things you know they will go away with the help of Allah dear listeners um, we will go now to our third segment which is incorporation of guide dogs in our society so what happened is I just want to read out the gist of the story uh, what happened is that a woman says she was refused access to a West London hospital when she tried to take her poorly baby inside for treatment because she had a guide dog now, historian and activist Dr. Amy Kavanagh, 34, who was blind, was visiting West Middlesex University Hospital. On arrival, however, she says a security guard kept shouting, no dogs, and me and my partner, and patients and staff had to intervene. Now, the NHS Trust says it is taking this in, that they are taking this incident seriously, and when the guard at the Isleworth Hospital's urgent care department tried to refuse the access, Dr. Kavanagh said she and her partner firmly replied that Ava is a guide dog and legally allowed access. Before they walked past him and he and headed to a reception, luckily other members of the public supported us and shouted down the security guard, repeating that Ava is a guide dog and allowed in the hospital. She added, 
We immediately informed the nurse at reception who was also very supportive and went to talk to the security guard. Now, do, um, dear listeners, um, we will talk about, now we just uh, talk about this and we will also talk about from the Islamic perspective as well. But before that, um, we need to understand why guide dogs are such, <coughs> why they are so valuable uh for blind people now guide dogs help blind people to be more independent and self-confident in everyday life they navigate them through different places and the commonwealth disability discrimination act 1992 makes it unlawful to discriminate against a person with a disability who is using a guide dog now guide dogs are trained to protect the blind from the unknown Physical illness can lead to mental problems due to the challenge. However, these can be eliminated if these people have a companion who accompanies them outside into the fresh air. Thus, these people have also have the possibility to build a social life for themselves. So, this is a guide dog basically provides emotional support for blind people by giving them a place of comfort and unconditional love. Also, the listeners. A guide dog um, requires regular walks and exercise that can be benefit its owner's fitness and well-being. So, of course, like um, if you think about that, like, what does the training entail, and how are they assigned to a person? Which I think is very important to understand it as well, because guide dogs are among other things that what they are taught are is two by instruction from the owners on which direction they should go. Locate doors and steps, avoid obstacles and more. The guide dog and its owner works as a team, and and I think this uh, are also very suitable for every uh, people, uh, regardless of what age they are. Um, they spend a year with a voluntary puppy raiser who socializes them and takes them to puppy preschool, where they learn where they learn important commands such as sit, down, and stay lay down etc and after that they begin about six months of guide dog training where they learn among other things how to deal with distractions in busy and noisy places now you can get a guide dog, dog via an organization if you are legally blind and feel a guide dog would help you you will get also you will also get interviewed from the organization which decide if a guide dog is a good idea in general um now of course uh how like what people might think like how can we begin to change attitudes among some cultures regarding how dogs are seen for example in islamic culture dogs are seen as impure but the holy prophet said it is allowed to keep them for acceptable reason in korea the dogs is seen as a uh, like are seen um which you can consume as well, uh, which is used as a meat or eat. You know, Koreans are afraid of dogs because they believe they could attack at any moment. Um, but you understand that in the Holy Quran, for example, God, uh, God is talking about dogs as well and um, about the importance of uh, dogs. For example, of those people who lived in the caves in the times of the Roman Empire, those early Christians. And they have used to have dogs in in front of the cave, and they would start barking, and and so they would know that a Roman soldier is coming, so they can flee into the cave. The listeners, um, there's so so much to talk about about these guide dogs, um, and I'm so delighted to say that we have uh, our next guest with us, whose name is Graham Kenzet, who is the head of Canon Assisted Service 
in Midlands and East. Graham, uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Morning. Thank you for inviting me to your show. As I said, I'm very delighted to have you with me. Um, could you please tell us more about the organization Guide Dogs? Yeah, sure. Well, um, Guide Dogs really was set up uh, post the, um, the, 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 the First and Second World Wars. And in fact, Guide Dogs in the UK started around about 1930. Um, in Leamington Spa was our first mm-hmm. primary site uh, that, that, that we had. We were set up initially to support those people who had been blinded um, during the, the war. But of course, um, during the decades that have followed, the organization has expanded and we now uh, provide not only um, dogs for people with sight loss to help them guide, to aid their mobility and to provide that um, amazing independence. But we also support other services as well. We support uh, children and young people and we also support the people when they first lose their um, vision. And we try to, uh, to sort of support with that whole journey. Uh, that journey may or may not include a guide dog, um, but uh, we, we have many services that we can offer people with sight loss. Well, you said that um, uh, guide dogs are provided pe- not only to blind people as well, but also to other people. With diff- and so can you like uh, exp- uh, just tell us what are those other different situations in which a guide dog can be required? Well, a guide dog would be used for a person who um, suffers sight loss. That person may um, have uh, lost all of their vision or they may have, may, have, may have lost part of their vision. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we would provide a dog which is going to support that person who wishes to um, expand their mobility to um, help them on their routes in their home area. Some of our um, owners, our guide dog owners, they will also uh, travel both nationally and also internationally as well. So we need to ensure that we get the right dog for the right person. And so we go through um, a process where we would, first of all, have a, an application process for the person who wishes to apply for a guide dog. We would take up um, all the details that they have um, so far as their a general day-to-day uh, lifestyle is concerned and maybe that where they would be looking to utilize a dog to, to guide them. And then we need to also look at the characteristics of our dogs so that we match the right dogs with the right person. Uh, and because, of course, our dogs, some of them will prefer um, a higher uh, workload and be able to work in very busy conditions and others may be more suited to perhaps uh, quieter, quieter conditions. But we do need... Uh, those that apply for a guide dog to um, have regular routes that they will be working uh, their dogs on, and that would be on a daily basis. Uh, and uh, um, because uh, I've heard many stories, I just read one of the stories that a lady was not allowed to enter the hospital because of a guide dog. And then I've also heard stories where people were basically not allowed to enter taxis or other mm-hmm. Um, buildings because of the guide dogs. Do you think people should be educated in regards of guide dogs as well? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there's, there's times where, where guide dogs have actually run educational uh, courses. It's important to realize that when a person is working with their guide dog, that they are working as a, as a partnership. They work together and that enables that confidence and um, independence that a, that a guide dog brings. There are some situations where there there are challenges um, for uh, the dog to to to, to go, um, and the examples that I would give maybe um, certain parts of, of of the hospital may be a little bit challenging. Um, places like um, zoos where may, maybe a dog would upset the the other uh, wildlife. 
But most situations, uh, we would educate people and show that um, how reasonable adjustments can be made to ensure that the dog can accompany the owner. You highlighted um, taxis and shops. Um, shops are uh, much less of a, a, a problem uh, these days. Most people, most um, owners of shops uh, realise that a, a dog needs to be able to enter the shop. Of course, we have extreme uh, hygiene um, rules where our dogs are concerned. They're, they're really looked after very, very well. They're, they're groomed and there is no health and safety concerns. Taxes, I think, um, are very often more sensitive. And again, from a legal perspective, dog, the guide dog needs to be able to accompany the owner in the taxi. That may be in the, um, the, the, the back of the car if there is a dog guard that is set, or that may be in the um, footwell where the owner would sit in the in the front of the car. But um, it is important that the dogs are enabled um, and that reasonable adjustment is made so that um, owners and their dogs can travel in taxis. It's probably more, more of an issue um, with, with taxis than it is with shops, but we do run educational sessions uh, which would support and help uh, educate uh, owners of, of taxi businesses. Interesting. Um, Graham Kendall, um, um thank you for uh, joining the breakfast show. I, I really enjoyed listening to you as well and your thought as well it's very interesting you know um, about dogs too because I've seen dogs how they have been trained by their owners as well and I think uh, don't uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think the dogs how they have trained for them it's like a play it's like a game when they do this they will be awarded with a uh, cookie etc uh, correct me if so, I'm wrong yeah so that's so the training that, that, that we um, we develop with our dogs, it's all based on sort of positive experiences and positive re, what we call positive re- rewards. Um, not so that they, they would uh, utilize the daily food the dog has um, on, on a day-to-day basis, so it's regular diets can be utilized to support some of the training um, of the dogs. But also we would use like positive voice and maybe certain um, uh, toys that the dog um, enjoys playing with. So that's to sort of develop training responses as the dog develops as a fully fledged uh, guide dog then we tend to sort of wean off the utilization of the the, the, the food and generally speaking the owner focuses on utilizing his uh, positive voice maybe just with the occasional um, food type reward but um, our dogs are really really well cared for they have regular free runs throughout and of course they have their daily diet uh, generally most of our dogs will be fed partly in the morning and then again in um, in the evening time as well. We tend to advocate not uh, straying from the dog's regular diet because we want to ensure that our dogs remain mm. uh, fit and healthy. Mm. Yeah. Um, Graham, can, can that, um, thank you for joining uh, the Breakfast Show and taking out your time. I, I'm very delighted to have you on my show as well. Uh, I wish you all the best for the future and thank you for joining. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. So you just listened to Graham Kenzert, who is the head of the Canon Associated Service Midlands and East. And um, interesting what you just said, that it started after the World War and it started here in Lemming, uh, here in uh, UK, in Lemington Spa, which is the Midlands. Uh, it's a very nice place to visit as well. I've been there many, many times. Um, the listeners, uh, I, I've seen about blind people. I don't say that um, they are, because one thing I don't like to say is, they they have some disability. I don't like to use this word with these people because 
the reason is that I have seen things of, of which uh, by, by them which I don't have. Some abilities they have which I don't have. Um, and uh, so right now um, we will going to talk to someone who is basically inspiration for a lot of people and can be an inspiration for us as well. Um, the person I'm talking about is his name is Muhammad Khatri. Who lost his sight when he was 16 years old, and he got his first guide dog, Vago, when he was 18. Now, this had a tremendous impact on his independence and has enabled him to go to the mosque, university, play sports all over the country, and travel to work in London by himself. Now, without having this newfound confidence, his positive, without having this newfound confidence, he's positive, many to do many many other good things, uh, and. Um, As I said, uh, he can. He's basically I've seen, uh, uh, done my research about him as well, and what I've seen was amazing. Uh, Muhammad, uh, good morning and welcome to the breakfast show. Hello, assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Um, as I said, I've done my research about you, and uh, uh, I was like, when I heard the story about you going to Africa uh, to <laughs> climb the mountain, I said, oh wow. That is yeah. amazing. Oh yeah, no, I did that like, many many years ago. Uh, obviously, without without Vargo, uh, but you get the confidence from having him for so long and trying new things and going to new places. But Alhamdulillah, it was it was something which I mean, I mean, the listeners we're talking about Kilimanjaro, which is almost I uh, was six thousand meters. Yeah, almost. Yeah, not far off. This is the highest mountain in Africa which he climbed, and I, this is why I said they have abilities which we don't have. I never climbed the mountain. I don't think I will ever do this. So I, that's why I'm saying you you are an inspiration for a lot of people, um, and therefore I'm very delighted to have you right now with us here in the Voice of Islam Radio, um, um, Muhammad. For our audience, uh, could you please tell us what a day with the guide dogs looks like? So, surprisingly, it isn't that different to a normal day. Mm -hmm. So I wake up, I take him to the toilet outside, I'll feed him. I then will either go to work or, if I'm working from home, stay at home. Again, mid-afternoon, I take him out to the toilet. I then go for a walk, go to the masjid for Zohar, mm -hmm. come back. And then again, either if I'm working from home, I'll stay at home or be at the office. And then from the office, head home in the evening, take him to toilet, feed him, and that's it. So people think so so difficult, so challenging. But actually, there is limited responsibility that you have to do. It, it is just about tending to their needs like you would, like you would for a child. Mm -hmm. um, giving them regular exercise. But often, with me doing my day-to-day -day activities, like going to the mosque, going to work, or visiting friends, he'll get his exercise in anyway. And once or twice a week, I'll take him to the park just so he can run around. Mm, interesting. No, it's interesting. Um, and Mohammed, um, uh, also I read in a new, uh, newspaper once that you were... Uh, Uh, you were basically told not to enter a taxi because of your blind dog. And I just read out a story about a lady who was basically oh. told not to enter the hospital because of her, of her blind dog. Now, there are these challenges. What can be done to address those challenges? 
education is the only thing that we can do. And unfortunately, it happens to me regularly, not just in taxis, but restaurants, Mm. shops, takeaways, sometimes very large brands, people that all of us would know today um, that we see on the high street all the time and sometimes independent shops. And all we need is education. Mm. People see dogs and they say, no, no, no dogs allowed. And often people will hide behind religion saying, oh, we're a halal restaurant. You know, we have Muslim customers, so we can't have a dog here. Or other people will say, oh, no, the customers are scared, so you can't allow your dog. Or other people will say, oh, I'm allergic, so you're not allowed. Unfortunately, the law says you have to allow them, and they don't realize the impact it can have on people like me and other people with guide dogs and how devastating it is to know that you've been rejected. So it's just a plea to everyone that if you see a guide dog, to allow people in. And if you do have reservations or fears, tell the person, because people will be very understanding. I'm very understanding. If I went to a restaurant and the owner said, I'm really sorry, I'm super scared, but I know it's a guide dog, I'll very happily be like, oh, no, um, thank you for explaining, and just sit slightly further away from him. Hmm. You know, this is something, I mean, it's very frustrating to hear that. I thought um, there might be few places, but what you just said is, I mean, it's very frustrating that so many places which basically would not allow mm. you to enter. Um, but you go to the mosque, right? You, you just said you go for Zohar prayer, yeah. you offer your prayer. How is it like? Um, what do the people say about them when you go with your dog to the mosque? Alhamdulillah, I don't have any challenges. So my new guide dog, Henley, his, uh, he has a kennel as soon as you enter the mosque where the shoes are, so just under the stairs. Mm-hmm. So he's not actually going into the area where people pray. And... I've been going to the masjid for so many years now. Alhamdulillah, it's not been a challenge. And people are just used to me. If I'm coming out, they'll wait for me a few seconds. If I'm coming in, they'll give me a bit of space because they, they recognize that mm-hmm. you know there's two of us coming in. And alhamdulillah, there have been other masjids around the country where I've been allowed to take Henley as well when I've gone. Like, And I know a few other brothers who have guide dogs have also had some luck. But it still isn't fully accepted everywhere so I can't just go to any mosque and turn up and mm. again it's education <clears throat> I don't want to keep my guide dog right next to me when you're praying salah we just need a safe place to keep him because he can't stay on the street or outside especially when it's raining and cold okay so um, you said your dog's name is Henry Henley, yes. Henley, Henley. And uh, how do you communicate? Like you said that uh, when you go to the mosque, uh, you, uh, you know, he, he knows where, where to wait. But how do you communicate with Henley? Henley? So he knows very basic commands, such as forward, right, left, find this or find that. And he also recognizes places. So as I come out of my house, I just tell him to turn right and he'll turn right and then when we get to an intersection, I'll either tell him go right or continue straight. Mm-hmm. What's great about it is he understands those basic commands and he'll understand like find the road or sit at the crossing or whatever it might be so that he keeps me safe and avoids obstacles. But if we go past something that he recognizes, like my house, like my friend's house, like the mosque, like a particular shop or takeaway we might go to, 
he'll automatically then go in there. So it's a combination of me communicating with him as well as him recognizing where he's going and just taking me there automatically. Interesting. And, you know, um, um, you've been known as a sportsman as well. Uh, you do a lot of sports. And uh, what kind of sports do you do with your blind dog? Sorry, could you say that again? Um, you been like, when I done my research, a lot of the newspapers said you are a sportsman. Like, yes. you, you do a lot of sports. What kind of sports do you do with your uh, blind dog? Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so, I do a lot of cricket uh, and running. Those are my two main sports. And running, I've done mainly in Leicester, but sort of all over the country for different races. And mm. it, it's great because when I go running, my wife, she just let Henley go for a run in the park and the kids can enjoy it. Mm. I go to cricket, so that's sort of all over the country when you have training, that's for a weekend. And I've also done other sports occasionally, like football and wow. baseball, but wow. not as much. No, but still, it's interesting. It's very interesting to, as I said, um, y you are an inspiration for a lot of people. Um, when I read uh, your articles, uh, this was amazing. And uh, I think people should know about this more and more. Um, Mohammed, thank you for joining the Breakfast Show. Thank you for joining the Voice of Islam radio. Hopefully, we can have you one time again in, in this radio. I wish you all the best for the future uh, as well as uh, and uh, for your family as well. Uh, may Allah bless you and uh, and um, yes, hopefully one day we can have you again in the breakfast. So thank you for joining. Okay, um, this the, the listeners. This was Muhammad Khatri. Uh, as I said, he lost his sight when he was 16, but still, Kilimanjaro. He went there, which is the highest peak in Africa, uh, and uh, he he climbed that mountain and you could see that you have sometimes they have ability which we don't have, and You still they can be also very great inspiration as well uh, or great role model for us as well um the listeners um talking he uh muhammad talked about uh, his dog as well and how he treat he's treating his dog as well because this is important as well we need to understand that islam is a religion for everyone right of course the teaching is for human beings because only teaching the uh, human being can understand the teachings but the holy prophet muhammad peace be upon him he is known as rahmatul alameen which known that he is the mercy for all everyone for everything which includes animals as well and uh, he has um, highlighted as many times in his sayings as well the importance of looking after animals um, he said that um, never does a muslim plant trees or cultivate land or and birds or man or beast eat of them of them but that is a charity on his behalf so you could see that um This is how he basically taught his companions to look after every creation of Allah as well. Um, there's one very good example, one incident, which the Holy Prophet narrated as well. He said that a man traveling along a road felt extremely thirsty and went down a well, uh, went down a well and drank. When he came up, he saw a dog painting with thirst and licking the, uh, the moist earth. Now this animal, the man said, is suffering from thirst just as much as I was. So he went down to the well again, filled his shoe with water, and taking it in his teeth, climbed out of the well and gave the water to the dog. And the listener, now God was so pleased with his act and granted him pardon for his sin. So basically granted him paradise as well. So you see that looking after Allah's creation, regardless if they are human being or not, of their 
Allah will please uh, Allah is pleased with that he will forgive you uh, all your sins as well the listeners um we have reached the end of the show um thank you for turning in thank you for listening to voice of islam radio if you want to learn more about uh, the ahmadi muslim community about islam you can do so you can turn in anytime or you can go on our website www.alislam.org or you can stay in tune with the voice of islam radio you can also find many many videos on youtube as well uh, muslim television and um, the listeners um if you really like the show um then all the regards goes to our producers dr fatma saman kokar arfa khan and sabia and to our researchers which were sofia nusheen ahmed tayba tahir barira harun sobi ahmed kashfanur ahmed and of course to akip who's our technical guy who supported us throughout the show as well the listeners um i wish you a pleasant weekend ahead and a May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. 